Welcome to the first Intuition Podcast. On this week's episode, we're talking money laundering. What professionals and firms have to do to follow anti-money laundering guidance and how you can spot the signs of suspicious activity. We recorded the session in front of a live Zoom audience and if you'd like to join a future show, you can register for them. There will be a link in the show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Student Forum and Podcast. My name is Ben Bullman, and I'm joined back again this week by my good friend, colleague, David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave. Good evening, Ben. It is good to be back after after the ladies took over last week and and did an incredible job. So those of you that listened last week, uh, I hope you all agree that I I think they were absolutely phenomenal. Um, But it was nice to have a week of not being here, but I think equally nice to be back again, Ben, and seeing you on a Wednesday evening. It certainly is lovely to be back. It was a brilliant episode last week that the ladies did us proud. They, They held the fort fantastically. And actually made me and you think that we both need to up our game. Dave, I've noticed you've got a, a new headset microphone. Um, the audio quality is going to be improved. Well, I, I hope so. Um, Jess, who was on the um, the podcast last week, had almost professional-looking sound equipment surrounding her. Um, and and the, 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 you can tell the difference with her audio compared to, to, to the thing we have. But I'm actually in, our, in my outdoor office right now, and it's a bit echoey, hence I've got the microphone on to hopefully cut some of that echo out. So how's your week been? Well, actually, it's a fortnight retrospectively now, but, but how's the last few days been going for you mate yeah not too bad not too bad um I've I I may have mentioned it last time um I may not have done though but I I coach my my kids uh, or my son's um hockey team and they they were Essex champions a couple of a couple of weeks ago which was very exciting in our in our household they they beat the best of Essex and 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 came out number one and this weekend we head to to the north of this region to Kings Lynn to compete in the regional championships to see who's the best in the east of England with one place at stake in the national final so one step away from nationals um so we'll see how that goes I, I as I mentioned to you off air we have got an issue with a goalkeeper with Covid at the moment which is causing us a couple of headaches but very much looking forward to this Sunday which is up in your neck of the woods Ben so you can give me a bit of intel about what the pitch is like and the conditions are like up there you're coming up to Norfolk and I wish you and the team really really well hopefully the goalkeeper situation will be rectified before you play your first match on Sunday and and good luck cheers Ben Um, yeah very much looking forward to it and what's been going on in, in your world Ben I've had a really busy week so far and it's been really lovely. I have been out and about doing a bit of a tour of our offices in East Anglia. So I've been down to see you in Chelmsford since I think we last did uh, a forum together. So that was nice. That was nearly two weeks ago, wasn't it? It was. It was. And we had lunch together. I was up in our Norwich office on Monday and very excited as we're recording this. Tomorrow is Thursday night and we've got our office opening launch party for the new Norwich office. That I'm going back to Norwich tomorrow. Yesterday, I was over in Peterborough, got the chance to go into a client's premises and meet five students that are at various different stages of their studies to give them some help, support and advice. And on Friday this week, I'm back in Cambridge. So I'm doing a real roadshow <laughs> of East Anglia. Excellent stuff. Excellent. So uh, I, we don't have a guest today, Ben, 
um it, it's just you and you and i here and um we, we were kind of racking our brains a few weeks ago about the the different topics that we'd like to cover and i think this is one that that you wanted to particularly to talk about because i think it's a, a bit of a, a pet subject of yours um so you know, what are we going to be looking at this evening so we decided this evening's subject would be money laundering or as our good friend and colleague amy forrest said before i came on air i had a quick call with her she said ben please refer to it as anti-money laundering she didn't like the idea of me and you teaching people how to launder money we need to actually give people defense mechanisms to be able to spot it so yes money laundering I was going to say is a passion of mine. Um, it's, it's not a passion. It's not something I've actively been involved in. But my, my background working in practice, regulated, and we had to comply with lots of money laundering regulations. It features in the syllabuses of lots of the subjects I teach. So whether you're doing your advanced synoptic, the ethics elements of that in AAT, whether you're studying the audit papers in some of the chartered qualifications or tax as well, money laundering rules and regulations seem to feature there so it's within the syllabus but it is a requirement on our our profession and clearly it's in the current news agenda we we hear lots about it reported on the the, the news on the tv um thinking about the sources of funds particularly money coming into the country so i thought this would be an opportune time and a nice subject to talk about excellent and and uh... I, I think when, when you say that kind of anti-money laundry, you're absolutely right. Our role as as accountants, as finance professionals, you know, should be to identify that money, identify if there is money laundering taking place, and do what we can to to, to raise it to the attention of the authorities. Um, but I always think that you know to to you know to catch a criminal. Sometimes you need to think a bit like a criminal. And I think understanding how money laundering can take place, understanding what money laundering is, understanding the processes of money laundering, I think they're really important before you can even think about how do I spot what money laundering is? Because if we just came on and said, oh, you need to look for X, Y, Z, it would be, oh, here's my checklist, one, two, three, check, no money laundering here. But you know, I, I think as we're all aware that um, you know, criminal activities evolve over time, change over time, and that there are new techniques that are used to, to try and cover your tracks and try and not draw um, the, the authorities' attention to, to your activities. So I, 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 you know, I, I do, you know, I, I do spend a lot of time thinking about you know, how money laundering operates it's something that makes great TV as well. It's I, I, I've I've been watching programs on TV and it, and just you know every every gangster movie will feature money laundering in some way. Um, you know I, I I love that episode of Breaking Bad where they, they they talk about money laundering for pretty much an entire episode and explain what it is. And for me, that's one of the best lessons in money laundering that there is out there. Um, I, I'm watching um, a series at the moment called The Ozark or the Ozarks, one of the two. And that's, that's a TV series that's based around a guy that's trying to launder um, amounts of money for, for drug cartels. Uh, and it, I'm utterly fascinated with what they do because I'm, I'm looking at it from the perspective of, right, what phase of money laundering is that? What are they trying to achieve by what they're doing there? And, and it's you know, really, really good just to see kind of, you know, and there's a load of really good research on how money laundering can work in those massive criminal organisations. And, and let's be honest, it's slightly more fun and certainly on a, a television perspective, more entertaining to think about it from that perspective than some of the compliance side. 
the two do go hand in hand. And that's exactly how I would approach it in the classroom. I would encourage the class to, first of all, think like a money launderer. Mm-hmm. What could we do? Should we do a little exercise now? I was just, just going to say, Ben, someone, someone's mentioned um, that uh, the, the former drugs kingpin, Pablo Escobar, in the, in the chat. And I, I know that there is, uh, and I mentioned the, this TV series, the Netflix series, Narcos, but there, there is actually a book that's written by Pablo Escobar's brother called The Accountant Story, because I believe he kept the books or, or the, the the shadow books or whatever they're called for the entire Median um, drug cartel. And there are some stories in that book that you just would not believe. Okay. I, I think just in terms of, you know, it was something that they spent thousands of pounds every month on elastic bands to put around bundles of notes. And the amount of money that they're spending on elastic bands to put around bundles of smoke is more than most people earn. It's just absolutely crazy amounts of money they deal with. But yeah, really, really fascinating. Um, and the, obviously, you know, spoiler alert there if anyone is watching it it, it's quite old news now it doesn't end too well for Pablo Escobar in the end so it's quite nice that they um it got that empire someone's actually put there they literally buried the cash and they're right they did they buried like large amounts of cash because uh, one of the reasons for that is because they when they stored it in a warehouse they had so much illegally gotten cash that rats would get in and eat through eat through the money and they couldn't do anything about it so they ended up having to bury um cash underground to try and protect it so that they could actually do something with it later so pablo escobar is yeah very good case study for um for money laundering i sincerely hope that that we're not going to come across any pablo escobar's in our careers, because then that'd be quite a scary proposition to be dealt with some, that kind of criminal organisation. Let's go back to think about that warehouse full of cash to see if we can kind of put our mindset like we, we would be if we were the, the criminals or if we're watching the telly at the moment, the OCGs, the organised crime gangs that have got <laughs> this money to launder. So the crime's been committed initially and we are in holding of the proceeds of crime is the official term so so let's play a game dave let's imagine you have got 10 million pounds sitting in cash that you have just got from a crime doesn't matter what crime has been committed you might have sold drugs you might have sold something illegal but you've got 10 million pounds sitting in cash what are you going to think of doing with it well first thing got 10 million quid i'd be thinking that is enough money to set me up for life, okay? I, I could pretty much do all the things that I want to do. So I'm really happy at the moment. I've got 10 million pounds. Now, first thing that I do is I, I you know, first thing I, w- I would do is I'd say, well, I, you know, I, I buy myself, you know, the house that I want to live in for the rest of my days. So let's let's take two million of that 10 million pounds, and I'm going to buy a two million pound house. It's going to have nice, you know, nice grounds, really big, big enough for my family to live in, big enough for me to sail see out the rest of my life. I wouldn't ever need to worry about moving. It'll be mortgage free because I've got the money. So first two million pounds, I'm going to buy a house. Is that right? Well, it's a nice thought, and clearly. If you've got the the proceeds of crime, you're going to want to live in a a mansion. I do. But our issue is you've got 10 million in cash. So how are you proposing you are going to pay for the the 2 million house that you've identified in a nice part of Essex? 
Well, £2 million with cash. Can't I just go to the estate agent, say, I'd like to buy the house for £2 million, and then just hand over £2 million worth of cash? Um, unfortunately not. Or you would certainly hope that no one would accept that significant sum in cash without going through some, some processes to check its source or to check your identity to justify where the money has come from. So the days of walking into anywhere with a big bag of cash and trying to pay for something sadly are gone so nice try mate but you can't get the house by paying for it in cash okay so so you're saying that with that 10 million pounds in cash i'm not allowed to buy a property because there are too many restrictions on buying houses for cash in, in theory yep yeah, solicitors estate agents all come within the umbrella of the proceeds of crime act and should have their own compliance processes yep. to identify the sources of funds that are being used to buy the property. And I, I really should know that because I, I having bought a house, um, I, I had to go through a solicitor because you, you, you have to have a formal legally written contract in place in order to complete on buying a house. And it's got to be signed off by a solicitor. And the solicitor did ask me the question, where did you get the money from? And I had to say, I'm borrowing it from a bank. And then they wanted to see evidence that I was getting it from a bank to check that it was legitimately sourced cash. And I think if I just said, oh, it's, I've just got a suitcase of cash here, I think they probably would have reported me. So I, I think you're right. Buying a house is out of the question. So I've still got my, I've still got 10 million there. Um, living in my current house, need to still make the mortgage payments, but we'll maybe come to that later. Um, so next thing, what about a, a nice car? So, nice car? Yeah. So The as aspiration of, of many criminals, uh, a nice car. Again, where are you going to go and buy the car? Well, I, I'm, I know where there is a really nice Ferrari dealership. I'm more than happy to pop down there and, you know, I'll just take a load of cash with me and say, I'm here to buy a Ferrari. Here's the cash. Where do I sign? <laughs> Unfortunately, again, any of those reputable dealerships or auction houses. So if you went to an auction to buy a vehicle, they would all also have to comply with the money laundering regulations and not just accept significant sums of cash without going through the due checks and balances. So you're saying that the Ferrari garage won't take my money? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying a reputable Ferrari garage that is upholding of the law would not take the money in cash without asking the questions. OK, and that, that I'm guessing would probably be most new Ferrari garages. I, I would imagine so, yeah, to get a Ferrari dealership. This probably what about like a Porsche? Could I get a Porsche? <laughs> Unfortunately not. Mercedes? <laughs> I, I think we will stop there before we right, okay. the mark of car that we can go through. I was just wondering if there was a level, but no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Having worked in the, having worked with people in the motor trade before, I know that there is a, there's, there's a de minimis level of cash that they're allowed to accept, and I, I I don't think it's more than a few hundred pounds before they have to ask those questions, or it's got to come from a legitimate UK bank account. Um, I would imagine if you're paying the kind of money that you're paying for a Ferrari, then they might want to get a source of funds as well in terms of where are these funds actually come from but you're absolutely right buying a new car now there's nothing to stop you buying say a second-hand car so you know I, I could get that you know that second-hand Passat that is you know 15 years old that I'm buying from the classified ads and they'll probably accept cash so you know that there's you know there are some cars that I could get so I get a 15 year old car that's got serious miles on the clock that it is going to cause me lots of mechanical issues with my 
some of my 10 million pounds. So I've still got most of my 10 million pounds. It seems to me, Ben, that the biggest challenge is that this money is not sitting in a nice bank account, having come from a legitimate source. Uh, and I guess that's the challenge that we've got. So I, I guess I could spend it doing my weekly shopping. <laughs> it's going to take an awful lot of weekly shopping to, to get through your, your 10 million. You should see what my kids eat on a weekly basis. I reckon <laughs> we could make a dent in it. Uh, you're, you're right. And, and it's, I think that a lot of people get blinded by the, I've got this stack of cash. And when it comes down to it, yeah, you can get your weekly shopping. You, you, know, you could probably go out and get some clothes um and some nice things to surround yourself within the house but the moment that you want those kind of those big milestone things like you want a house or you you know you want a nice car or even i want to make investments you know i want to invest this money you know in uh in the stock market or i want to invest this money in a company or i want to invest it in bonds or something like that it's very very difficult to get those money into the financial system you know without arising suspicions so you know it in terms of doing that, how, how can I get £10 million into my bank account and actually spend it on a house, Ben? This is the challenge. And this is really the first stage of any successful money laundering operation to try and get the money into a bank account looking like it is from a legitimate source. So everything you've talked about, exactly right, to deal with it in physical cash is going to raise lots and lots of red flags and alarms these days. So we're actually talking, and when we're teaching this, that, that the title of this first stage is placement. Anyone that's doing exams in money laundering, try and structure your answer with some headings and start talking first of all about the placement stage. The cash being placed into what looks like a legitimate transactional source for it coming from. So what sorts of businesses do you think would turn up with sums of cash to deposit in their bank on a regular basis? Okay, so we're looking at businesses that, you know, tr that, that traditionally receive money from their customers in cash. So uh, one, one that I know from my, my watching of, um, of gangster movies is restaurants. So, you know, restaurants, traditionally people spend money, settle up with cash. So it would be quite easy to, you know, shove a couple of extra thousand pounds a week, you know, into the takings and bank a little bit extra. So I go restaurants. Restaurants, cash based, very, very good. Yes. But obviously one restaurant you mentioned putting away a couple of grand extra every week. That's still going to take a while to eat through your 10 million of cash sitting there. So what do you think a serious organised crime gang would seek to do? Do you think they would look to have one restaurant that they were legitimately running? I think you're right. I think you'd have to have a number of these, these kind of cash-based businesses. So a load of different restaurants. Um, I'm trying to think what other businesses there'd be. I, 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 one, you know, one that springs to mind based on, on, based on my wife and my knowledge of things my wife does, things like hairdressers quite often take cash nail salons quite often take cash um so they would be things that i'd be looking at i could maybe filter a bit of extra cash into those kind of businesses um fish and chip shops was kind of a restaurant um one that i did hear of which was um which was quite clever and i, I know the authorities have, have seen an end to this one is um a taxi firm and our, our friend pablo escobar apparently was banking something like five million pounds a week through his taxi company that happened to have three taxis 
And I think it was the the, the most profitable company on the planet um, at, at that point in time. Um, and some had suspicions that maybe he wasn't just running taxis through that company. There was something else going on. So definitely a taxi company. Any others you've come across, Ben? Um, historically, nightclubs were always seen as a higher risk of money laundering. Bars, you've talked about fish and chip shops, but other fast food chains... Someone actually in the chat box has suggested laundrettes, sunbed shops, tanning salons. Now, we, we need to be a bit careful here. When I was working in practice, we dealt with clients that legitimately ran all of those kinds of businesses. Were they laundering money? No, I genuinely don't think they were. They were very legitimate. So we just need to be careful that we don't go around accusing everybody that's running a takeaway chain or a, a chain of nail bars or hair salons, they're laundering money. But from a professional perspective, we need to be aware of what the business does and have that heightened level of scepticism that this could be a front for the placement stage of money laundering. And the, the fact that, that we think about these businesses um, the, the, the legal authorities have thought about them way before we ever thought about them. And th I mean, things like taxi companies, um, taxi companies are investigated and they, they do demand to see things like mileage records and they want to match mileage records up with the amount of money that's been received. It's very, di very difficult to, to launder money through a taxi firm now. Um, I think you mentioned tanning salons. I, I remember a point in time where I, I seem to see tanning salons everywhere. And not that many people with a lovely, healthy glow about them. Uh, and I, I did hear that, again, they, they were a lot of them were investigated and they demanded to see electricity records because it was, well, if you've got this much money being banked through a tanning salon, you must have your lamps on for quite a long time. You must be using a lot of electricity. So they wanted to see evidence that there were costs to support that revenue. So for a lot of those, those industries are now looked at to, to determine, and I know that they, they, their accounts are scrutinised to look at the kind of the profit margins that they're making to ensure that are they making the right level of margin for that type of business. So uh, I think that you're absolutely right. You shouldn't be suspicious of everyone um, because there are lots and lots of legitimate businesses doing all of these things where they happen to be cash-based. While we're on those cash-based businesses, let's just think about two things. One that's been evolving for a little while, one that came and hit us out of nowhere recently that must have caused them quite a bit of problems if they were trying to launder money through cash-based businesses. Dave, what, what do you think the challenges for those businesses have been with regards to the amount of cash that they're taking recently? So are you, are you talking about the impact of COVID on um, on the money laundering trade? I'm thinking COVID one when legally they weren't allowed to be open, but they were probably still trying to launder illegal money. That's going to arouse suspicions, isn't it? If yep. you were in a sector that legally wasn't allowed to open for parts of the last couple of years because of lockdown, that's caused you a bit of a problem and might arouse suspicion if your takings haven't seen a deterioration in line with the expectation for other businesses. I guess the other one, I was in Cambridge at the weekend and got a taxi and maybe I just haven't been out for a while, but was really, really pleased when the taxi driver said, oh, don't worry about me stopping at a cash point for you. I now take contactless card. And so I guess the emergence of contactless has reduced the amount of cash and therefore makes it even more suspicious if these businesses are claiming they are taking more cash than ever. 
I, I, I completely agree. I, I, one of the things that I talked about when, when COVID started and we've, we've kind of three, four months into lockdown is this must be absolute hell on earth for money launderers because the, the, the businesses that they, you would traditionally think about laundering money through are, are no longer open to them. And you know, I, I'm assuming that illegal activity still continued during the COVID period. Uh, and as, as a result, it, it must have presented its own unique challenges. Um, likewise with your uh, with, with kind of contactless payment um it does make me wonder you know if you know if, if drug dealers are now carrying around card reading machines or things like that to actually receive money through someone's card rather than via cash but you know not being in the industry i wouldn't really know um how those things are dealt with nowadays yeah i, I think we'll possibly avoid that one before you, you tempt us to go and do some real time <laughs> we, we won't go and, and do that um, one other thing to talk about, we're still at this placement stage, and I've seen a couple of messages in the chat box where people have flagged this, a concept of smurfing. I don't know if you've come across this before, Dave, but smurfing, think about the little blue cartoon characters that you remember from your, your childhood watching or the, the more recent films that you might have watched with the family. It's a concept of having lots of these smurfs around. And this has been another, another way that crime gangs have tried to place their cash in what seems legitimately by going to lots of people and they tend to pick on younger people possibly more vulnerable people and say you've got a bank account would you just deposit this amount of cash for me and they will do it in smaller amounts that won't arouse necessarily suspicion because oh where did you get the money or oh, my Gran gave me some money for my birthday. That's why I'm paying it in. But if you can imagine getting a thousand people to each pay in a hundred pounds to their account, you can launder quite a bit of money. Now, these crime gangs are not giving that money away to these vulnerable young people. What they're then going to do is forcefully demand that money is transferred back to them. But that transfer back has cleaned the money up because now it's been paid into the banking system. It's now back in our banking system and can be paid into an account without arousing as much suspicion as the physical cash. Because yeah, all of these things are, are, are attempts to get cash into the banking system um, without arousing suspicion and depositing large amounts of cash does that. You actually write smaller amounts, one-off amounts don't raise the same level of suspicion. Um, you know, and you're absolutely right. There are those kind of techniques, and there's a you know a few other techniques that are similar to to try and you know, establish a, a pattern of banking that means you can deposit those funds. I guess the problem with those things are that if you are carrying out ongoing criminal activities and you've got a constant level of cash flow coming into your illegal activities then those people are going to have to start to deposit on a regular basis which then in itself is going to become a suspicious activity and, and lodge in, in, in inspection by the banking sector or the bank they're involved in and therefore they're after the authorities so we've done stage one we have now placed your cash in smaller chunks in different businesses but we've got it in bank accounts which was the, the stage one of the process the crime gangs are really really clever at this stage they don't now go and draw the money out straight away because that might be a bit too obvious and certainly if they were under investigation makes the money quite easily traceable for people doing forensic accounting and analysis of what they've done so this is where we come to stage two and if you are learning this for your studies, the next stage you need to identify is what we call layering. This is where the money will now be moved around. 
trying to make it much harder for anybody to follow or join the dots up and certainly remove it further and further away from the original placement from its criminal source. So how do you think you would layer money, Dave, once you got it into a bank account? What sorts of things could you envisage people doing? Well, this, this is this is something that I, I looked at on the TV series, The Ozarks, Ben. Um, and what they seemed to do to launder money there was that they would have the money, as you say, placed in these cash-based businesses. And those businesses were not really, in general, owned by the money launderers. They're owned by other people and they placed the money into their businesses. But then they had an agreement that another company would do refit work and repair work and would supply them with other services, usually at quite a large markup. So they were charging these businesses quite a lot of money to pay for their cost, their ingredients for, for the restaurant or to install um, new carpets or to paint the premises, usually not spending very much money doing it, but charging huge amounts to try and bring that money from one business into another business. So, yeah, this is where we see complex group structures set up. So lots of different companies transacting with each other, lending each other money, transferring it back and forth. Um, now, again, we have to be careful. When I was working in practice, we had a number of clients that operated their businesses within a group structure, multiple companies. And just because they were doing that, we weren't accusing them of now layering money and making illegal money harder to trace. But what we did need to be assured of was the, the commercial rationale for having that structure. Why do you need so many companies? What's the features that are there that require this money to be transferred or one company selling to another? So I think that that's a, a perfect example of how they will try and move it around. Now, again, the crime gangs are quite sophisticated at this stage. Would you want the same accountant auditing or preparing the accounts for one part of the business that was transferring money to another what what do you think you would do with your professional advisor network so uh, as a as a as a potential money launderer ben i don't like the idea of someone seeing every single aspect of my business i'd much rather they saw little bits of it and i told them part of the story and then got someone else to do another part someone else to do another part exactly so when i worked in practice one of the reasons we wanted to deal with the whole lot was because we could charge a bigger fee and there was commercial reasons for it. But also it was much higher risk to us if we were only seeing limited parts of the group structure, limited sides of the transaction, because we were less likely to kind of realise when we looked at the big picture, this was potentially a sham that was just there to make money harder to trace. So complex group structures and intercompany transactions are one. What role do you think offshore funds have in the layering process? Well, there's, there's a couple of things there. But first of all, you, it, it's more difficult for one country to trace transactions through another country. So if I can bring things into it, 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 offshore to one country, to another country, then come back to the UK, um, it can appear to be legitimate from the UK end and you don't see all the things that are going elsewhere. So it's far more, far easier to kind of blur the lines as to where that money's come from. International money transfers now are easier than ever, done in seconds. You're exactly right that the different authorities maybe don't do as much looking into the source of those funds. I, I think 
um, worldwide, it's getting a bit more joined up there. We've got organisations such as Interpol that tend to join up investigations. You, you sound like you like watching a lot of crime dramas on telly. I always like the ones where they have to contact the police in other parts of the world. Some of those inter-European cases where, where people have been moving around. And it's exactly the same for money. But, but clearly offshoring and bringing it back just makes another layer of that complexity that's harder to follow. It's going to take more time to investigate, which just slows the whole process down, really, for people that can try and crack down on the, the sophisticated money laundering operations. So that's the layering stage. So we've placed the money, got the money into a bank account. We've now managed to transfer or, or managed to, to buy a, a, a complex set of different businesses overseas uk we've been able to move that money from company to company and, and usually that's through a series of transactions that look legitimate so it looks like one company's actually doing work for another company but you're trying to move that money around to make it look like a a normal set of transactions and create that as you say that web of complexity that makes it more difficult for people to recognize the underlying illegal activity so at the moment, we've we've shuffled money around. It's sitting in a bunch of companies, um, you know, and you know, some of these companies might be completely unconnected with that initial um, it, that, that initial placement. Um, how do I buy my house, Ben? <laughs> we're we're at the final stage of the process, Dave. The bit that you've been waiting for to get your hands on that two million mansion, the Ferrari you wanted. Yep. I've always thought of you as a racehorse owner at some point in your life, Dave. So maybe we're going to go and buy a racehorse as well. All of these are ways that we can now start integrating the money. So we need to show that this money has come from legitimate means. And that's what we are now using to buy the assets that we really desired to start with. Um, but at this point, the money's been through the process. So we can start extracting it. We can buy and then sell assets. I jokingly talked about resources, but you can buy those and then sell them. And you've actually got legitimate looking money. Where did you get the money from, Dave? Oh, I've just sold a racehorse or I've cashed in an investment. You talked about putting your money yep. in investments or I've bought and sold a house or I've bought and sold a car. Um, if they're legitimate businesses, they will be declared for tax purposes. This is always something that makes students chuckle in class, but money laundering operations would no love nothing more than declaring the income as legitimate for tax purposes. And they're quite happy to pay a bit of tax on it because what they are getting at the end is much cleaner money. And that's a feature of this, actually. I think something to look for is they're not necessarily going to end up with the 10 million they had to start with. What would you rather have? 10 million of dodgy money sitting there in cash that you can't do much with or maybe six million that now looks perfectly legitimate and above board, potentially quite happy maybe to lose four million in the process just to get the cleaned up six million at the end. That, that's always the thing that seems crazy to me is, is that, and maybe it's because I'm not a criminal, but I always put myself in the, in the mind of a criminal thinking I've, I've just broken the law to get myself 10 million pounds. Why would I want to give away 40% of it to, to HMRC? But when you look at the alternative, yeah, you could keep it all and you'll be well stocked up in your, in your cupboards and your fridge for the rest of your life, but you're still going to be living in the same house you're in now and you're going to be driving an old banger around and just have a load 
cash on the kitchen table versus, okay, pay the tax, but then you, you've got the, the ability to actually buy things that you really want because that money looks like it comes from a legitimate source. And I mean, that would be where, you know, you'd be looking at paying dividends or paying salary or just extracting the money in a conventional manner that anyone else would from a business that makes money. Can I tell you one of the best sources to receive money and no one would ever question it? Can you imagine receiving a tax rebate from Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, Dave? How clean would that money look? Mm -hmm. Very justifiable. But can you imagine the scenario that a client comes to you and says, Dave, will you do my tax return? And you say, yeah, of course I will. But it's not due for filing yet. We're really busy. And so the client says, well, look, to be safe, because I might be out of the country, can you estimate how much my tax bill is going to be for me? Now, if you were estimating a client's tax bill, would you be tempted to overestimate just to cover yourself and make sure they've paid enough and don't get caught for fines or underestimate? What are you going for? Always, always go over. Okay, always. And two, two reasons. One of them is um, that, that you avoid all those fines, penalties, any of those risks of happening. And also, every client loves to get a bit of a refund, don't they? And it makes them feel good when they get them. And then they say, oh, actually, you overpaid a bit. We've got you a refund. And I particularly, if I'm using you to launder money, would want you to massively overestimate. So let's imagine you come back to me and said, look, Ben, I think 50,000 is what you might be looking for your tax. Why don't you pay it to HMRC now, just in case you are out of the country when it's due for payment? And I go back to you and say, Dave, 50 grand sounds good, but actually I've got the money sitting here. Why don't I pay 100,000 on account just to cover us because you haven't done my calculations yet and we need to just make sure I don't get clobbered for that, that non-payment fine. So I pay 100,000. In three months time, you get round to doing my tax return, filing it at the deadline, and you actually declare that my tax liability was only 40,000. You successfully overestimated. So Amazis Revenue and Customs now think I owed them 30,000, but I paid them 100,000 on account. What do you think I'm now going to receive from them? You're going to get a lovely refund from the revenue, aren't you? I'm going to get a lovely tax rebate, and that's going to either be paid straight into my bank account, no questions asked, or... They do still issue checks for tax rebates. I get a check that comes through, which I can go and present at the bank and pay in with no questions asked. So it's always one that I, I talk about in class because I think it's more relevant to the kinds of things our students might see. But people, most people don't voluntarily pay more tax than they should do. But if I was laundering money, that's quite a nice way to get some money out of my account, but get it back in the future without any awkward questions being asked. I'll have to watch out for that one next time they, the tax man contacts me just in case. Um, but no, I, I, I love hearing all of those kind of stories about how, um, how, how you know, criminal gangs have, have attempted to launder money. And the great thing is, Ben, the fact that we know about them, it, is, it, it means that they were caught and that people have been caught and people are aware of them. And those opportunities are, are no longer open to those criminal gangs. But um, I guess, you know, we've got a few minutes left, Ben, before before we finish that. And I just wanted to um, kind of ask you what, what you thought, you know, do you think this is an issue in the UK? Is this something that, that, you know, we should be aware of? Or is it something that is, you know, just the domain of movies and TV series and doesn't really happen? Good question, mate. And I think 
there is potentially a bit of a naive thought that oh, but this this won't happen in the UK when you think about big criminal gangs drug cartels you maybe think about South America or or Asia or other parts of the world actually I, I did a bit of fact finding last night um, it's estimated that on an annual basis, 90 billion pounds of illegal money passes through the United Kingdom every year. So on an annual basis, 90 billion pounds of illegal money flows through the UK. That would get me such a nice house. <laughs> it would. It, it is a, a significant. 90 billion is hard to visualise. But when I was looking at it in, in comparison to some other stuff, it is more than the tourist industry generates for the UK economy on an annual basis. It's almost as much money as generated by agriculture in the UK. And that's always been one of our major sources of income. So we are not talking about an insignificant amount of money. If you look at the UK in context of other countries, um, the research I did last night indicated that the UK was the second biggest amount of money being laundered through its um, legal and accounting and banking system. So we've got the silver medal, the global silver medal. It's like the silver medal at the Olympic Games in money laundering. You're going to love this, Dave. As someone like me that, that has always followed the Olympics, who do you think gets the gold medal for the, the money laundering location? Now, my guess is it has to be America. It has to be USA, doesn't it? It is, yeah. Like the good old Olympics, USA usually lead the medal table and they do in money laundering stats as well. But the UK second, which is is quite staggering, really, because we're, we're a good economic nation, but we're certainly not the biggest by way of population or well, not, not the second biggest. Germany and France are also up there in the, the, the top five. So it looks like it is more of the developed economies. What, why do you think that might be? What do you think makes the UK potentially attractive to money launderers well one of the things we say about the uk is that in the uk we're set up to make it easy to set up a business so it's, it's easy for people to set up business in the uk if anyone wants to set up a company i reckon in 10 minutes you can set up a company it's very very easy very straightforward so actually setting up those businesses and trading legally is relatively easy to do. Um, there's a relatively low level of corruption. So you're not going to get people that are going to, you know, start demanding protection racket money of you and things like that in your businesses. So you, you could be safe, relatively safe in the UK if you set up a business and start start running money through it, that you're not going to get other people trying to 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 take a big chunk of your ill-gotten gains. Um, the other great thing that we've got in the UK is is we deal in sterling. And, you know, I would say it's the reason why the US is so popular is dollar is everyone knows the dollar. Everyone knows sterling. It's a it's a it's a stable currency. And, you know, if I'm you know making illegal fun, if I'm generating illegal funds, one thing I don't want is to be operating in a country where their currency is going to collapse or where the authorities can shut down my business and still take the money themselves. So I, I, I would say for those reasons, the UK is a very good place for, for foreign illegal funds to come in. Exactly. I would add to that. We've also got a very good banking and financial services yep. industry. We are renowned. The city of London is very highly regarded for financial services, for banks. All of the major investment houses, banking institutions are there. We've also got quite a buoyant property market, London particularly. And we'll know in the news agenda at the moment with, with seizing of assets, there is, is lots of nice property in London. 
that's been pretty stable and actually growing in value yep. over over recent years. And so I think all of this comes together to, to form quite an attractive place. And I think the big thing to bear in mind is we're talking about money potentially coming in and passing through the UK, not necessarily saying the original crime is happening here. This is quite often the crime happens overseas, but the money comes into the UK because of our, our reputation for mm. effectively keeping that money safe and legitimising it. Absolutely. So that original I guess, placement of the funds may well have happened in another part of the world. And yet it's, it's in that, that layering process that we start to see the money coming from overseas into the UK. Definitely. But, but the UK is, is clearly a hotspot for it, which is why our government have reacted. We've got very robust regulations now, criminal offences that can be committed under the Proceeds of Crime Act, and lots of that falls on the professional services organisations. We've talked about them already, but accountants, lawyers and solicitors, estate and property agents, the banks and the financiers themselves to have robust systems and processes to identify what the government calls suspicious activity. So uh, I guess just to... to kind of get finish up as we are we are kind of rapidly heading towards towards the end of this evening you know you and i are accountants ben and most of the people listening are are, are going to be you know either accountants or training to be an accountant or aspiring accountants so what's our responsibility as an accountant when it comes to money laundering obviously don't do it you know that's that's the first thing but what what do we need to be aware of what do we need to do yeah, good, good question, Dave. And, and you're right to say the first thing is don't actively involve yourself in money laundering. But I guess if that's a path you're going to take, no matter what me and Dave say, it's probably not going to uh, change your, your view. So that's the first step. And, and clearly that would be a legal activity. You actively helping people to do the, the money laundering. However, there are further responsibilities that are regulated on our accounting profession. And I think more likely you're going to get unknowingly caught up in something that should have aroused suspicion. So firms of accountants and other professional firms have to have their own internal systems and processes for anti-money laundering. That will involve the firm appointing someone called a money laundering compliance officer that make sure those systems and processes are in place and are being followed, and also appointing someone called their money laundering reporting officer. And it's that person, senior within the organisation, respected and taken very seriously, that you would go to if you worked for that firm to report a suspicion of money laundering that you would come across in your day-to-day -day activities. That person then takes the responsibility of filing a report something we called a SAR, a Suspicious Activity Report, with the government, the National Crime Agency, so they can go and investigate it. Now, that opens up a couple of further responsibilities on us. The first one, and this is a really good tip for anyone doing an exam question in money laundering, please mention the term and concept of tipping off. Dave, have you come across the concept of tipping off before? I have been, and, and this, is, this is where you are alerting someone 
that you have a suspicion uh, and effectively you know, tipping them off. Oh, look, we found something. You better watch out. And apparently we shouldn't do it. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, apparently we shouldn't. Why don't you think we should go and tell someone we're in the process of reporting them for a suspicion of money laundering? Well, I mean, that's a bit like saying to someone that, um, oh, I think you might have murdered someone. Just go and clean your house out to make sure there's no forensic evidence before I send the police round. You know, it gives the opportunity to, to maybe scarper um, or to try and hide evidence. So, you know, I, I, you know, it just, you know I, I can't see why you would, you know, if you think someone is doing something suspicious, why you would even think about tipping them off, um, because it, it, it gives people the opportunity to cover it up. I don't watch soap operas anymore, but it's what I refer to in class as the the drum duff-duffs of EastEnders. If you can imagine at the end of EastEnders, when I used to watch it, it always finished in something quite dramatic. Um, might involve someone getting petrol out, dousing their office with petrol and about to strike a match. Mm-hmm. That might be one of the reactions. If you've tipped them off, they're going to be investigated for money laundering. It might mean they are fleeing the country. So we might see them going through the terminal at Heathrow, getting on the next plane to another country to avoid arrest. It might mean they actually physically attack you to prevent Mm. you from making that claim. So, yes, tipping off is something to be taken seriously. It in itself is an illegal action. So you would face uh, an investigation and potential prosecution if they believed you had tipped off someone and therefore somehow prevented a full and thorough investigation. So that's another responsibility. The other one we've got as as firms and as businesses dealing with clients is to really go through proper customer due diligence, know your clients. Very similar to you will have experienced this if you've gone into a bank to open an account or get a credit card. Um, No different for firms of accountants when they are taking on new clients or ownership changes within their client base. They need to get um, evidence of the owners. And that means going right to the top of the the official owners at the top of the group structure. They need photographic ID. They need identity of, of an address. So some kind of utility bill. And they also need to understand what the business does. Going back to those suspicions of the, the placement. What does this business do? What do their takings look like compared to our expectation and having that sceptical mind? So so lots of responsibilities on firms individually. So if you're sitting there worried, oh, no, this is a lot of responsibility for me. You need to make sure you're aware of your firm's processes and follow them at all times. If you work for a business that's not regulated, so let's imagine you don't work for a firm of accountants, but let's imagine you work in the finance office of a a, a trading business. You might work in a school, for example, in the finance office. If you have got any suspicion of money laundering, you personally can go and file one of those SAR reports. It's quite easy, actually. If you Google UK National Crime Agency SAR, you will find an online form that you can fill in. You have to give details of who you suspect, where it's happening. So the actual location and and a a rough kind of view of what might be going on. Now, again, you need to take that responsibility seriously. And it's something that does feature in the exam syllabuses as well. The examiners would like you saying we would need to make sure a suspicious activity report was filed. Excellent stuff. So I think then we've we've reached 
as we so often do on these uh, on this Wednesday, we've we've reached that point where we've we've hit our seven o'clock um, seven o'clock limit, and we're, we're going to need to say goodbye. I, I, I've got a whole list of things that I, I really would have kind of loved to have gone through, and there's there's I know there's a few examples of money laundering that I think we've both heard about in the past. So I think this is a subject that we should revisit in the um you know in, in the coming months um because it's something that I, i'm always fascinated with and i'm you know, looking at the people in the chat box today it's it's something that i think has really sparked interest because i don't think we've ever seen as much um comment in, in the chat box as a response to any of the topics that we've done um but yeah i i say I'm, I'm really glad that we've gone through this evening and um yeah thank thanks for sharing with everyone your wisdom on money laundering because you know as far as i'm concerned you you're the you know the, the real expert on the i should say anti-money laundering not how to launder money um but it is it, it's such a fascinating subject and the, the more i kind of read about it the more i see in kind of documentaries and tv programs just the, the more you realize the intricacies of you know, how money laundering actually operates. I think, just think it's such a fascinating subject. So, yeah, th thanks so much for suggesting this as a topic today, Ben. Um, thanks to everyone here for, um, for coming along this evening. It's been brilliant to have your comments, um, your comments on the um, in the chat box. And uh, finally, thank you to everyone that, that took the chance to, to download um, our podcast. Um, it is really, really appreciated. Thank you so much for listening. If you do have the opportunity, please leave a comment um, uh, on the uh, on wherever you choose to to listen to and download your podcasts. Um, I will make a quick plug for an episode that's just gone out. So there is a fashion and finance episode of the podcast that was released today, which is a special that didn't actually it wasn't actually recorded on one of our Wednesday evenings. It was recorded at a completely different time. Um, so I don't think anyone that's a regular listener will have been will have seen it live and it was a brilliant discussion with some some really key figures in the fashion industry talking about how finance operates there so really really worthwhile listening but until next time take care everyone and we will see you well in one week's time thank you very much if i could do one final plug the national crime agency released a really good bi-monthly newsletter and I'll put a link for it in the show notes. So have a look for it there. I've put it in the chat box for the guys live with us, but it's a good read. Every other month it comes out and it's, it's done in a really good way. Thank you all very much. Take care. Speak to you next time.